Good morning. You may be seated. I want to welcome you to Church of the Apostles. Those of you who are visiting, we're so glad you're here. On your bulletin, there is a card to fill out. Let us know you're here. We'd love to answer any questions you might have. And on the back of that card, uh, you can put prayer requests that you'd like us to pray for. We'll keep those in confidence. Uh, what we're praying most of all is that everyone who is in the room will meet with Jesus Christ today as we worship him, that we will have that together. As you can hear from the buzzing and the beeping, we're still getting used to our new place. But a couple of announcements. We're just going to make a few family announcements every week to help you kind of be more comfortable in the space now that we're here. And so a couple things for today. First of all, this, parents of little ones, it's really, really critical that you stay with your kids until you get in your car, right? We have, we have, um, we have supervision throughout the day. Right now, they're supervised very carefully, beautifully by trained people who know what they're doing. But after the service, we don't have that. Right, And so just um, I know it can get really easy in a building like this to lose a, a kid, and we don't want that, okay? We need to remember that outside included, right? It's a busy road out here. There's an active parking lot, and we just want to make sure there's one parent with a child wherever they are after and before the service. I, I know, I mean, when I say that, I'm just like, oh, I'm that guy, but I have to be that guy, all right? So you all do a really good job with that, but I'm just reminding you um, that there are parts of the building, the doors are closed, we're just not supposed to be in. And so sometimes little ones kind of open doors and get going. And I got to tell you, this is a huge building. We would find a kid who was walking around. It would take us a while. I'm just going to be honest with you. It is a huge building. Okay, that's number one. Just be with your kids. We love that. Number two is this. After the kids' dismissal, we're going to keep those two doors closed throughout the service. So that keeps the sound down and we can all just pay attention to what's happening. So what I'm going to ask you to do is after the service begins to come through those back doors and leave through those back. If you have to use the restroom or something, the back doors are the way to go and you can just come right down this hallway and be in our hallway, okay? A couple of things that we'll just do together. And every week I'll just kind of say these before the sermon so we start to get comfortable in our space. Our amazing new space. Amen. I mean, it's amazing that we're here. And for those of us who are here all week ever, we can start to feel like home. It will feel like home for you. One last thing. You might have some really great, like, hey, have you thought, I get a lot of this now. Have you thought about, bring them. That's great. That's great. You probably shouldn't say them to me because what happens, they just go away, right? But if you want to email them to Jane, a suggestion, that's great. But know this, there are more things coming. We're just figuring out our new space. We're living in a little while, and there'll be some changes as we go along, as we just get coming. It's like moving into a new house, you know? Oh, that piece of furniture doesn't belong there. It belongs over there. Oh, I wish we had picked a different paint color. We're not changing the paint color, by the way. I would love this paint color, but you know what I mean. I'm talking about your house, not my house. This house is fine. Okay, so all of those things are coming. You have done an amazing job entering into this space, by the way. I want to say one other thing that's not quite as fun. You may have heard that there was a bomb scare up the street this week. I want you to know that that place and this place were completely safe. I, I, through this, we were in touch with police and all that. They've caught the person who's called that hoax in. He, he's in custody. It was on the anniversary of our Jewish friends suffering a great loss in Pittsburgh. It was evil what happened. So how do we respond? You're doing it. We come to this space and we worship the God of the universe, and we are completely safe in him. We are completely safe in him. And we pray for our friends. So I'm going to do that right now before I preach. God, you are good and what you do is good. You had the other day in your hands on Friday. You had it. God, we pray. You, you've told us to love our enemies. So we pray for the man who called in this threat, Jesus. Would you capture his heart? 
Would you change his mind? Would you heal his spirit and his soul, God? For our friends up the street, for our friends here, would you bring a peace that passes understanding in your name? And would you make us, Church of the Apostles, a good gift to them, to this neighborhood, to this building, to our friends? We love you. And now as we turn our attention toward you, and we think about calling, we ask that you would open the eyes of our hearts, the ears of our hearts, that we would be able to see and hear all that you have for us. We ask it in your good and great name. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. Kathleen Halen, we've been reading her book, The Stories We Live. Our triads have been going through it. We've been thinking about calling together. Here's what she says in chapter 5. Jesus gives his life for you. And discipleship entails giving it back. Man, I love that little phrase. Jesus gives his life for you. And discipleship entails giving it back. Vocation, then, is self-giving service in community for the sake of God's world. Vocation, then, is self-giving service in community for the sake of God's world. I read a human interest story recently from the Philadelphia Inquirer. Tanya Heath is the head usher at the Forest Hills Theater, the Forest Theater in Philadelphia, where the three-hour hit musical Hamilton is playing. He spends her nights helping 200 women form an orderly line so that they can all use the 12-stall downstairs bathroom in time to make it up for the second half of the musical. <laughs> Heath's job is as an usher, but that is not her calling. She is a classically trained soprano who plays five different musical instruments. She has auditioned for the part of Eliza in the music, musical Hamilton, but now play, pays the bills helping people see a part of a show that he, she herself would like to perform in. Before people can become too agitated and worrying about their filled bladders and their impending second act, Heath jumps up onto a bench and announces, it only takes about six minutes from that door to get to this bathroom. All I need you to do is to trust me and your sisters. <laughs> Heath often sings her instructions to the worried ladies waiting in line, causing a kind of camaraderie and community to develop where there would be competition under normal circumstances. The patrons have been known to break into spontaneous song themselves, harmonizing with strangers, cheering and encouraging one another that they will make it back to the show on time. <laughs> According to all accounts, Heath performs her job with joy and skill because I quote, I think it would be devastating to miss the beginning of the second act. One woman returning to her seat says to Heath, you should be on Broadway. Can you imagine hearing that if you're a trained soprano who wants to be on Broadway? His response is, soon. So we're in week four of our calling on series, our series on calling and vocations. And today we want to discuss being called for service and work by considering the story of Mary and Martha. We've all been at a family dinner, a family Thanksgiving, where, you know, uncle whoever yells out, Ma, will you come in here and sit with us? But he doesn't, offer, off, doesn't even offer a finger, to lift a finger to help her come in. Have you been at this? Just yells the whole thing, come sit, will you, Ma? I had this in my family, still do. I don't do that, I hope, but I, I have that. Don't get up, just come sit with us. 
If we look at the story of Mary and Martha this way, we'll be offended by Jesus. We'll be defensive for Martha and we'll be jealous of Mary. That is not what's going on here. I'm just, I want to tell you what's not going on in this story. Because in our humanness, when we read this story, we remember Uncle whatever, come and sit down, Ma, and he just doesn't do anything, right? <laughs> That's not what Jesus is doing at all, at all. Jesus is calling Martha into his presence so she can be the person he created her to be, to serve and work for his glory and for the sake of others. That's what's happening here. Jesus is inviting Martha into his presence so she can be fully the person he created her to be, to serve and to work for the sake of others. So let's look at this unique calling. This is a calling story, by the way. You may say, wait, wait, what's she being called to? She's being called to that vocation, that vocation that we've talked about, all of us being disciples of Christ, that we get our lives from God, from Jesus' death on the cross, and we give it back. That's the call in this story. It's a common call. It's our vocation as disciples. So let's look at these three main characters really briefly. One, Martha's service and work is an idol in her life. I just want to say a blunt statement. Her service and work is an idol in her life. An idol is simply something that we follow to get for ourselves what Jesus already freely offers. Can you just hear me say that? That is the definition of an idol. We follow an idol to get for ourselves something that Jesus, in this case, freely offers. That's what an idol is. Idols promise us freedom, but give us only bondage. Idols promise us peace, but give us only anxiety. Idols promise us safety, but give us only insecurity. Her work and service is an idol. Verse 40, Martha is distracted with the business of work, causing Jesus, defines a little bit later her condition as anxious and troubled. She's anxious and troubled. She's not multitasking. She's not listening out of one ear while she works. Her attention is diverted from the thing that it should be doing, sitting at Jesus' feet and listening. But she's listening to another thing, busyness of service. It's an idol. Now, I want to say this. Martha is a saint. She is one of the first disciples to recognize Jesus as Messiah in the Gospels. She loves Jesus. She's a saint. She's called to his common vocation. She has recognized that he is giving her her life. What she has missed is she's not quite giving it back yet. But she's a saint, okay? She's a saint. But she compares herself to Mary. She has determined for herself what is right, and she goes to Jesus and tells him what he has to do for her. Have you ever done this to God? Tell him what he has to do for you? How's that work out for you? <laughs> but she goes to Jesus and says, hey, you've got to tell her to work for me. By the way, that's what Martha says. Get the intent. Jesus, tell Mary that she has to work for me. That's what Martha's saying to Jesus. Really what Martha's saying is, if you loved me, Jesus, you would tell Mary to work for me. She's a saint. 
But do you see what idols can do to saints? They twist it. They twist it. What Martha's trying to do is she is trying to earn acceptance and value through work and service. Listen, this is subtle. She's trying to earn it. She's trying to earn something that Jesus has already freely offered. Because we are created in God's image and because Jesus gave his life on the cross and because we are called into the common vocation of discipleship, we all have the acceptance and value from our good, good father. There is nothing for Martha to earn. There is nothing for me to earn. There is nothing for you to earn. We are accepted and valued already. My favorite love letter in the Bible is the book of Genesis. You didn't think I was going to say that, did you? <laughs> Sometimes we read it as a science book. We shouldn't do that. Verse, verse 1, 26 and 27 says, God so loved us that they talked to each other, the Holy Trinity, and said, let us make man and woman in our image. That's a love letter. That we're made in the image of God. We're image bearers. We're already valued and accepted. We don't have to earn it. You see what the idol of work and service can did to Martha and can do to us? It gets us off track. It gets us off track. The second character here is Mary, and I just want to say another blunt statement. Mary is not slacking in the story. Okay? Sometimes we read it like if Mary would just get up, she's slacking off. She's not the family member who's yelling in for Martha to come and sit with Jesus without lifting a finger. That's not what she's doing here. She's not slacking. The word sat in verse 38 is a rare usage in the New Testament. We only find it just a really few times in the whole Bible. It just says, Mary, who after she had taken her rightful place at the Lord's feet, kept listening to what he said. That's what it means. After she took her rightful place at the Lord's feet, she listened to what he had to say. That's what it means. That little word sit. She just sat in his presence. First of all, can I give you good news today? Jesus does not despise our humanness. Did you see that in the story? He's not, he's not content to condemn Martha. He doesn't condemn us, does he? He loves her so much that he invites her to, the, he invites her to do what Mary's doing. He loves us. He loves Mary. He loves Martha. He welcomes all of his disciples to his feet. All of us in the room are invited to sit at Jesus' feet. It doesn't matter it doesn't matter what our world condition is. It doesn't matter what our status is. It doesn't matter how much money we make. It doesn't matter what ethnicity we are. It doesn't matter if we're male or female. We are all welcome at the feet of Jesus. Mary's not slacking, but she is relaxed. She's accepted. She is in a learning posture. And what Mary has done by sitting at Jesus' feet is she has rejected idols. She has rejected idols and has turned toward the Savior for what he freely offers. You see the contrast? Mary and Martha, now the last main character. You might know who it is. Jesus. By calling Martha to come and sit at his feet, Jesus is affirming, listen, he's affirming two things. He's affirming rest in his presence and work and service. 
He's doing both. You may say, yeah, but it doesn't say that. Yes, it does. He's affirming both things, rest and service and work. He's, he's affirming them. So in verse 42, 41 and 42, the Lord said, Martha, dear Martha, I love these words. Don't you love these words? I had a kind of a grumpy week in service and work. It's funny when you're preaching a sermon, then you don't realize it until this morning. I'm driving up the hill like, why am I so grumpy this morning? And God said, Brian, dear Brian, can you come sit at my feet? Martha, dear Martha. And look at, listen to Jesus' concern. You are anxious and cumbered. I'm using my own translation here. Troubled and burdened about many things. One thing should happen because it's most needed in your life, Martha. Mary has chosen the good portion, the first fruits of my offering. And this cannot be taken from her. Do you see the love of Jesus here for Martha, for us? Even though there's idol worship going on, he says, Martha, dear Martha, come and experience my first fruits, the best of what I have to offer. It can't be taken from you. Sitting at Jesus' feet and basking in his acceptance and receiving his value in our lives in this way, Jesus has offered us first fruits. He, he has affirmed rest. And what Jesus does not do in this little story is he does not accuse Martha of working. That is not the accusation. When we sit at Jesus' feet, he affirms our work and service. When we are accepted in him, then he says, I've got a calling in your life. I have something for you to do. I have given you your life, and now I'm going to tell you how to give it back. He does both affirm rest and service and work. And this little word, first fruits, sums that all up. They're first because there's something to follow. Come and get what's best, and then I will turn you over to service and work in my name. When we go to Jesus' feet, and worship him, and hear from him, and learn from him. That is where we find our motivation and our empowerment. That is where we hear our calling to work and serve him, work for and serve him. That is where we find it. We find it at his feet. If we find our value and acceptance in only the work we do, all of a sudden, that spins out of control. If our value is only in what we can produce or how efficient of a house we can run or how good we do in school, if that is where our acceptance and value comes from, that is an enemy to our callings. It is getting for ourselves what Jesus freely offers. And so as Martha's doing this, he calls her to his feet because he wants her to make a trade. He wants her to, to go from being busy to being present. 
He wants her to go from watching out for her own good to living for the sake of others. He wants her to go from pursuing her own will to working out his call. And he wants her to go from earthly accolades to eternal joy. Now, here's a word we're going to need the next few weeks because next week we're going to talk about being called in suffering. We are being called from earthly accolades to eternal joy. Cahalan writes again, Joy is not feeling good about what you are doing. Rather, it, it, it is an interior conviction that what one is doing is good, even if it does not make one happy or content. Did you hear that? A lot of us have professions in the room that are not anywhere near our callings. We're like Tanya Heath, in fact. Some of us have calls. We're doing things right now that we have to do, not that we want to do. The good news of this is there can be joy in this for us. Cahalan goes on, both happiness and pleasure can arise from joy, but joy is something more. It is a quality of being, an emotion, a sense of abundance and goodness. Can you hear that? Joy is a sense of abundance and goodness. It may not be actual abundance, by the way. It is a sense that at God's feet, there is abundance and goodness in what we do. You cannot get that joy through work and service alone without resting in the presence of Almighty God because Jesus affirms both rest and work. The Philadelphia Inquirer did not write about Tanya Heath's spiritual life, but when I read the story, I saw the joy of Jesus all over her. She has a longing and a calling and a training to be a performer. Yet, she exhibits the joy of God in her work and service to others, doing something as simple as helping women get to use a bathroom. For Christians, this joy only comes as we rest in the presence of Jesus and our hearts are captured by his love. Only then will we live righteously and fearlessly and generously and fruitfully and peacefully and powerfully and hopefully. Only then can we be confident in lives of service and work for the sake of others. So, we're going to have a, a, just a, a moment of silence, not two minutes, because we have a little bit more to do. We're going to hear from, we're going to hear a calling story this morning uh, from Zach and Kiara, and we're looking forward to that. But for about a minute, I just want us to pause and have our moment of silence right now before we continue in the sermon. And I want to ask you, one simple question. One simple question. Where are you sitting? Where are you finding your acceptance? Where are you finding your value? You bow your head and close your eyes. I'll watch the time. Jesus, we ask that today you would, um, we, we would hear, you are inviting us to your feet, that we would hear that call and respond in the love and grace in which you call. We ask in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.